happy to be with you. This is Rafik Versum, not Pastor Don. And uh, I also do a um, Christian Ed class. So let's uh, open our Bibles or smartphones or dumb phones on Isaiah chapter 40. This very famous passage on the voice, preparing the way of the Lord. So Isaiah 40 from 3 to 5, and it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. The up is from me. And every mountain and hill may be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer for a minute. Lord, uh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it speaks to our hearts and minds and souls. And it transforms us, Lord. Lord, may you speak today. May you increase and I decrease. May Christ be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, you know, this week, for those who follow the calendar, um, it was Valentine's Day. And I'm sure you all had uh, tough, uh, I mean, uh, nice times. Uh, but it's also a nice memory. And, and um, in those years when Ash Wednesday, and for those who do not come from a liturgical church like myself, it was a new concept to me, but rather profound that there is a, a time when we sit and pray for repentance and preparing our hearts for this phase when we await and prepare for Easter, the most amazing story in history. So Ash Wednesday, the time for repentance, mourning, and confession came with Valentine's Day. And so this was the trend. Roses are red, violets are blue, Lent is beginning, no chocolate for you. You know, you have to give up something in Lent. Won't you be my Valentine, my miserable offender? Um, Remember that you are dust, but awfully lovable dust. Don't say these uh, statements, please. You know, as I think, if Ash Wednesday came, the time for mourning and repentance with Valentine's Day, then I have a great example to speak about who was really consumed by love, but love defined by his own way, and that is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my heroes, in fact, his all-time hero to even Jesus himself. You know, from the time of his birth, even before his birth, his father prophesied these amazing words. A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is somebody who had a very special task in this redemptive moment, I mean, this, you know, specific moment in redemptive history to give the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. He's coming 
for a speci special purpose to reflect the tender mercy of the God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the peace in the ways of peace. You know, in the past, before the Roman roads and certainly before the 401, there was a hard time for kings to go over from city to city, let alone visiting other countries. So when a, a, a majestic king would go from a country to another country to visit another king, there has to be a way for the procession to go over these crooked roads. So there would be those who go before him and pave the roads, you know, before the Roman roads and before the, the technology came into road industry by the Roman time. And those who do this are the road preparers. And, you know, in the Mesopotamia, in the Near East, there were so many kingdoms and the kings would complain one to another that their roads are not prepared enough for their majestic, you know, royal visit. And in each of those cities, there was a crier, somebody who cries out that the king is coming. Prepare the way, uh, fix the broken roads, just uh, make it straight, level those bumps, do something because the chariots are coming, this majestic royalty is visiting. And it was very, in, to a very similar extent that Isaiah described the messenger before the Lord. Somebody is coming to prepare the way, to level those bumpy roads, to level those hilly roads so that every height, every hill would bow down. And all these grooves and holes in the roads would be fixed again. And all these crooked paths will be straight so that the king might come. But that king was not a Babylonian king visiting the king of Assyria. That was the king of the universe visiting our hearts. And so in this time, we needed this messenger the voice that cries out, prepare the way, not in the Near East, not on the highways and the byways, but in your heart and souls. So here comes the voice who prepares the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. And you will know, it will unfold to you, why it's very relevant to Ash Wednesday and to Valentine. John was the voice coming for a public proclamation of the Lord in all of his glory. You know, in Matthew chapter 3, just before Jesus went out to his public ministry, Matthew was describing the days of the ministry, the very, very short period of the ministry of John the Baptist. So he says, John the Baptist came in to preach in the wilderness of Judea. And he was there saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is exactly what the prophet Isaiah was talking about. Repent because the kingdom, i.e. the king is coming to launch 
his kingdom. And there, John was depicted in his, you know, unique kind of peculiar, maybe um, strange, to say the least, image in garment of camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. And I'll come to that later. That's a very important imagery in the New Testament, believe it or not. And all of Judea and Jerusalem, so all the cities were coming out to the desert to get baptized, you know. So Chris the baptizer, I meant John the baptizer, were coming here to get baptized, to repent of their sins publicly. And he was courageous enough to confront the Pharisees and the Romans and the Jewish soldiers and the Roman pagans. And he was telling those uh, people to repent and this sect to repent. And how would you show repentance? By the fruit of repentance. By fixing the broken things. By, by mending your ways. By returning the stolen stuff. By um, being fair. By stopping injustice. And he says... Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. There is something that would show that the repentance is genuine. Alleviating injustice. Living with righteousness. Doing the right thing and choosing the right choices. And that was a very countercultural message that even then they needed, not just as a message, but as a pathway for the coming Messiah. The world, even now, needs this message of repentance and confession. And we lose so much, we miss so much by denying this message and going about our own ways. We miss so much of the benefits of real repentance, of mourning, confession, and fixing our ways. It was a courageous message that we needed now like never before. But John, this person who was out in the wilderness wearing this uh, you know, peculiar garment and eating honey and, and locusts was part of a sect called the Essenes, Essenians. And, and um, he was actually exalted among this sect to the fact that after John's death, so many people thought that he came up again. He rose from the dead and he started doing miracles. One of those people was Herod, the king himself. But then his followers and disciples lifted John up to a level that nobody else was lifted up as a prophet and as a, a miracle worker and as a messenger. So in the time of the later century, the earliest church, when John the apostle wrote his gospel, 
the cult or the sect of the Essenes were exalting John the Baptist so much that they were even leveling him the same level as Jesus. And this was why John the Evangelist wrote his gospel, one of the reasons to prove the divinity of Christ, testify to the divinity of Christ, and to actually put John the Baptist in his right place and position in redemptive history as the witness or the voice for Jesus. So every time John the Baptist was mentioned in the Gospel of John, it was meant to show the real niche or role of John the Baptist as the witness who cries out, this is the Messiah. And this is why he made it to one of the most majestic pieces of poetry, or, or, or prose rather, in the New Testament, the prologue of the Gospel of John. The only human that made it to this divine poem speaking about Jesus in his divinity as the eternal logos, the divine word that came into this earth. So John the evangelist talks about John the Baptist saying that there was a man sent by God, from God, his name was John. He came as a witness. He bears witness to the light, but he was not the light. He came that, my, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. Again, he says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is the one who comes after me. He ranks before me because he was before me. So every time John was mentioned, his role was clarified that he is the witness. I love that. Um, some Pharisees out of the Sanhedrin came, or, or Jews rather, out of the Sanhedrin came to ask him, who are you? And in the Gospel of John, it says, he confessed, and he did not deny, and he confessed or attested that he is not the Christ. John knew very well that he could not steal the show from the only one who's worth all the glamour. He knew his place exactly, that he's a witness to lift up, to put the center, to put the lights, the spotlight on Jesus. So John answered and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands the one who you do not know, but he who comes after me will, will baptize you with fire. He is the one who is the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. You know, the Jewish rabbis always, um, always respected their teachers. And so in their rabbinic teachings, they said, if your teacher, if your rabbi asked you anything, out of respect and dignity, you have to do it. If, you, if he asked you to carry um, his bag, it's an honor. Please do carry his bag. If you lift up his books, this is a joy. Do it with joy. He's your rabbi after all. He's worth of dignity and respect. However, if he asks you to untie his shoe or to put on his sandal, that's way too low. That's way too uh, humiliating. So that's 
totally undignifying. Don't do this. So John the Baptist was saying that this Jesus, I'm not even worthy of untying his sandal. This man is in love. So as you follow in John 1, Jesus was passing by one day. John said, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John mentions this the next day because John 1 is one week. The next day, Jesus was passing by. John again says, behold, this is the Lamb of God. And guess what? John had his disciples around him. And by pointing to Jesus, he did not just lift up Jesus. He sent his disciples to Jesus. He was there knowing that his role was to witness, to testify, to point, to exalt, to lift up, to shift all the focus from himself to the king as he prepares his way. In the evangelistics class that we teach um, on Sundays, and if you don't know this word, I don't either, so come, come to us and discover that. But we learned that uh, the word witness, martyria, in um, the original language, is the same root of martyrdom, martyria, you know. So John was ready in his witness to take it to the level of martyrdom. And this is exactly what happened when his courageous message was not just confined to the Pharisees, to the Romans, to the Jews. It was even extended to Herod, the king, or the one who wanted to be king, or rather called himself king, when he took his brother's wife. And he says, you cannot do this. Well, that costed John his life. And by being a witness, he was ready also to be a martyr. You know, John Piper has this uh, poem. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely one saying this. Upon the man nearing his death. See him nearing death. Listen to his breath. Through the ebbing pain. Final whisper gain. Final whisper gain. So why did John do this? Why was John ready to be the voice, to be courageous enough to be the witness, to live this message to the last drop of his blood? Well, actually, because he was in love. To me, John was the friend. He says, my joy is now complete. My joy. He's the friend that is full of joy as his friend was exalted. This is the secret of John the Baptist's life. When Jesus came to John and telling him, baptize me, John said, no way. I should be baptized by you and you come and ask me to baptize you. What is that? And he says, now, permit for now. And then the dove came on resting on Jesus. And the heavens were open. You know, it was like Jesus was 
magnifying John's humility. John was humbling himself and showing to everyone that he's not worthy to touch the sandals of Jesus. And Jesus humbled himself and showed the world and the universe that he, the King of Kings, the Holy God, would identify with sinners and go like sinners to be baptized under the Baptist. So this time the heavens could not stand still. The heavens could not stand quiet. The heavens were open and it was said, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. This is the Jesus that John wanted to witness for. And, and, and I'm sure with, with this amazing love and character, John, John was overwhelmed. John was in love. So John stepped back every time Jesus comes so that he fills the scene in towards the end of John's ministry, earthly ministry. Of course, he's still serving us by a great example. People told him, now, Rabbi, you were there preaching repentance and baptizing people, and this man whom you baptized is stealing the show. This man is baptizing people and drawing disciples and getting more likes on Facebook and, and getting, you know, so much more famous than you are. And John says this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said that I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent be- I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, now my joy is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. My joy is complete Now, because he's taking the place that he's worth to take, and I'm taking a step back so that he increases and I decrease. Because I am the friend, yet he is the groom. John was giving us the greatest example so that we follow the person who paved the way for Jesus. He witnessed to everybody about Jesus by preparing his way, but yet by moving out of the way. So many times in our lives, we want Jesus to come without us moving away. But John gives us this example he must increase and I must decrease. And it's rather this, John, he will only increase if I decrease, right? Simple math. If I am the center of my life, if I am on the top of my uh, priority lists, then he will never increase. If I take every decision because I should be there, 
then he will not increase. But if I put him first and foremost in every way that he might increase and I might decrease. This was the life of the Baptist that was so courageous to be a witness until death, who was the voice of the Lord, who was the friend who uh, put his friend first, the groom first, and exalted Jesus. But that's not the end. The story actually is that Jesus himself testified for John. When Jesus was asked... When John was in his weakest point, doubting even the Messiah, he sent his disciples. John was in, this, in the prison because Herod has imprisoned him before uh, slaughtering him or cutting, beheading him. So he sent his disciples asking Jesus, are you the one or shall we wait for another one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? What's going on? Where are the manifestations of your kingdom? And so Jesus answered them that the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the, the, the deaf are hearing, and, and the manifestations of the kingdom are at hand. And then he looked to the audience and said, who are you thinking John was? Is he just a reed shaken by the wind? No. I will tell you. He was the one who's written about him. I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Um, and this notion of Jesus giving credit for someone might be new to us in our selfless pursuit of the glory of Christ. And that's great. But I want to flip the image now and look at it from the side of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, The Weight of Glory, says this. Glory for Christians was depicted as lights that we, you know, and in our glorified status as we are glorified upon death or upon the coming of our Savior, will be lights in this universe. Amen. And will be famous. So Lewis struggled, not with the lampstand, but with more of the fame thing. Why are we going to be famous? What, what is that? What has this to do with being glorified or being um, in that status of fame or good report? And then he said, I began to investigate that. And I saw that so many Christians like Milton and Aquinas and all of those spoke about us taking heavenly glory in the sense of fame or good report, seriously. And by looking at that, it seemed that it's not being famous among themselves or having the fame or the, the vain glory but being famous or known or acknowledged or blessed or accredited or appreciated by God himself. It is God who says, well done, good and faithful service, servant. It is God who gives credit and acknowledgement and approval of a life 
of witness and testimony. It is the divine approval, the divine cheering of a life well lived. It is this glorious moment that John was living for, even though he didn't live it here on earth, he was living for it. After John passed away, Jesus said this to the Jews, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears is true. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. What is it, Lord, if I am called to be a burning and shining lamp, reflecting the real light? John was the lamp. Jesus was and is the light. John baptized with water, and Jesus baptizes with fire. John was the friend, but Jesus is the groom. That's why Jesus must increase and John must decrease. That's why Jesus must increase and I and everyone must decrease. May we have the boldness to testify to the truth, courage to witness and live the truth. And this love that would fill us with joy, the joy that is complete when Jesus is increasing. So I ask myself with you in this upcoming season, how will I be the voice and the witness and how will Jesus increase? Let's pray.